One of the things that's always been around, and we actually did a campaign about this five or six years ago, was our stores going to become more showrooms. And that showrooming concept, holding lots of infantry in the store, has that gone now? And actually, the customer will still be able to look, feel, touch the product in terms of fulfilling that. Will that come from another point? And this is where micro-fulfillment centers really come into the fore, in that the customer may say, yes, I like this product. This is exactly what I want. I'll be here shopping. Can you fulfill it within the next hour and a half? And I'll come back to the store. Welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the privilege of being joined in the studio by Alex McPherson. Alex is the Director of Solution Consulting and Account Management at Manhattan Associates. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for making time to join us. Hi, Des. It's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to the next 45 minutes in the podcast. Likewise. So today's overall theme is Think Big and Act Small. We're going to be talking about supply chain and specifically the topic of micro-fulfillment. And uh, we're going to be talking about a number of key topics, specifically what's driving this whole new micro-fulfillment approach, some of the key benefits of what micro-fulfillment can bring to an organization and, and why this approach is, is, is better, potentially. Why micro-fulfillment is such a hot topic and, and, and more importantly, what its long-term potential is for organizations. And then some key takeaways that brands should be considering and potentially actionable takeaways around the whole topic of micro-fulfillment. But before we dive into that, Alex, I wonder if you could potentially kick us off with, I mean, your role as Director of Solution Consulting and Account Management at Manhattan Associates. I mean, in effect, it's a self-describing role in many ways, but I wonder if we could start off with a quick intro to yourself and your role and maybe what a day in the life of Alex McPherson is at Manhattan Associates and, and some of the key focus areas that your role entails. Sure, sure. So really, it's working with our prospects and customers at Manhattan Associates. We have many across Europe and the, and the UK, as well as globally. So it's working with those customers and looking at honing their supply chains and looking at how they can improve their customer propositions. I think one of the big change over the last sort of five to 10 years has been instead of looking at removing cost, customers have wanted us to come in and look at some of the ways that we can improve their customer proposition. So if I almost take it before COVID and, uh, and post-COVID, before I was very much on customer sites, in stores with them, in warehouses, in fulfillment centers, looking at how they can improve their proposition to, to the customers. Now there's a lot of Teams meetings, a lot of discussions with them, even doing remote warehouse tours and store tours using using CCTV, which has been quite interesting. So that, that's, that's been a new development that we haven't had before, but it's really looking at how our customers can improve their supply chain offerings. Wow. I love the idea of doing the virtual tours. Uh, you know, as we see new technologies, particularly as, as cloud computing has, has, has been a massively transformative technology that you've led this whole world of supply chain. In. And we're seeing now 5G as a connectivity and networking technology. I imagine that a whole range of these things are going to come into play. So it's exciting to see that you're leading that space. We're talking generally about micro-fulfillment today. And I wonder if, if you could perhaps just give our listeners a brief overview of what micro-fulfillment means in the world of supply chain. And more importantly, in the context of Manhattan Associates offerings overall. Sure. So, so micro-fulfillment is really where moving out of large automated DC. So, so retailers and, and our customers often would have, depending on, on, on the brand and, and the size of, of the industry, would have perhaps one or two large, often automated remote DCs in, in a country or, or a region. 
If it was a food grocer, that would probably be more sites than just a couple, depending on the size of the country. They would look then to fulfill from the DC out to the end customers from that and, and, and obviously to the stores. What we're looking at in terms of, of micro-fulfillment is the ability to actually have a much more distributed supply chain. So uh, looking at it in terms of large towns, having a local fulfillment centre where they may fulfil to end customers, to stores, to, to do click and collect delivery. So these will tend to be much smaller facilities they may be a lot more manual, less automated than the, than the large automated fulfillment centres. And, and really what they're looking to do is to expedite that fulfillment process, to get the goods quicker to the customer or to provide a convenient click and click, and click point, for example. And that's often true in, in, in food grocery. So it's it's taking that supply chain and distributing it a lot more across a geography to, to, to match the customer's expectations. And, and obviously with the, the boom in e-commerce through COVID, uh, and this has definitely been true here in the UK, we've seen this huge growth in e-commerce, particularly for, for some um, industries specifically where it's perhaps quite a low level and fulfillment centres have helped uh, support some of that as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because, I mean, it's a bit of a no-brainer that, that COVID-19 has impacted almost everything around the world and in our lives. Micro-fulfillment would have uh, existed as a, as a, a new approach pre-COVID-19, but it must have driven some substantial, uh, a rapid approach towards this. And I guess it removes a lot of the risks of not being able to ship things globally if you were able to fulfill locally and, and, and regionally. Has there been a, a particular standout that, that you've seen over the last 12 months of the COVID-19 experience where micro-fulfillment has, has really stood out as a success factor for any of your clients in the context of, of dealing with the global pandemic? Yeah, no, absolutely. There's been some, some some really great examples of that, Des. So where uh, a lot of store, obviously stores in the UK were, were, were closed for long periods of time and stock was effectively hostage in those stores. The, the, the retailers couldn't get it out. And what they, some retailers in the UK began doing, particularly fashion retailers, is using those stores as local fulfillment centres. So we actually, a lot of retailers have, have put their toe in the water here where they've seen how local fulfillment centres can work in that, that, that micro-fulfillment context. And they've been able to use the stock in the store to actually ship out free commerce orders. Because not only was there the issue of the stores being closed, but actually incoming deliveries were held up as well. So as the pandemic was in, in the Far East before it hit Europe, often deliveries were not coming into Europe because of, because of issues in the Far East. So inbound stock was affected, whereas they had all this stock within stores. So it was great to see some, some local fulfillment taking place from those. And, and I can think of several customers where they've actually used that model to fulfill it. And, and when we think about that in terms of, of our solution set and, and micro-fulfillment, it really is it's almost a spectrum of activity. So you have some perhaps some of the larger fulfillment centres where you're looking at almost like a, a small distribution centre, looking to use a warehouse management type system solution. At the other end, you have it maybe where it's perhaps a little bit lighter, smaller in terms of the range, in terms of, of, of the volumes, and you're looking for a, almost a store fulfillment solution. So, so we're lucky in that we offer both at Manhattan Associates. So looking at how the customer develops and, and, and fulfills a solution, we can help support both of those. One, one of the, the really interesting requirements that our customers came to us with was curbside pickup. Um, right. And this was where, this is where, and this is, this is true both in, in Europe and North America, where customers were, were keen to do kick and collect, but they didn't want to have any contact. And this is 
particularly true early in the pandemic. So I want to turn up in a location, I'll open my boot and, and let the, the, the store associate put the product in that I've already communicated with, but I don't have to get out of my car, I don't have to go into the store. And this was something very quickly our customers at request us to roll out. Now, because we had a SaaS solution based on microservice architecture, we could bring that to market within a matter of weeks. So our customers had access to this capability, which no one had even thought of probably four, six weeks previously, and they had all access to it because we're continually updating our solution. So it was great to see that in place across across our customer base. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, congratulations on all of that. I mean, I, it's exciting to hear some of these success stories because, you know, we, we hear a lot of bad news, but it's it's so great to hear good news and and, and to, to see that you were already well placed for this and able to, to spin this up quickly. And as you said, the whole approach you've taken around the space with, with software as a service in the cloud, containerized solution that can spin up and down, scale up and down on demand must have been a significant game changer. The whole concept around this fulfillment approach, though, of, of micro-fulfillment, I mean, it, it existed pre-COVID-19. I wonder if you can kind of give us your take on, on what the catalyst has been for this whole new fulfillment approach. Yeah, I mean, I, I, as you say, it was something that, that had started previously. I, I'd heard it called sometimes local fulfillment centers as well as micro-fulfillment. A, a lot of it was driven based on speed, so the ability to get orders to the consumer more quickly, and that's particularly true in things like areas like fashion. But actually, if you think in, in other verticals, I can think of in the UK, a DIY company brand, who they actually fulfill only local fulfillment centers. They have no stores. They treat it as a local warehouse, you turn up and you effectively do a click and collect order. So it has been there across multiple industries for, for probably several years. The other area where we're beginning to see some of this take place is in food grocery. And, and this is food grocery e-commerce has been a real challenge for, for those retailers to make it profitable. And, and different brands, grocers have tried different strategies. So do you go to the the highly automated DC and then try and ship out across a country. And that depends on geography. So in the UK, you can be quite successful. Larger countries, France, United States, Australia, that's difficult to do over large geographies to, to, to have one or two very automated DCs. Then the pro approach was, do you fulfill from store and actually pick the, 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 the products in store? And then you have some of the challenges about, do you have capacity? So do you have the problems where actually your store associates are clashing and, and creating congestion for your customers that are walking into the store. So that can be quite a challenge as well and the ability to flex up and down in terms of capacity. So micro-fulfillment was always an area that was on the food grocer's agenda in terms of what they were looking to fulfill um, and how they could do it more efficiently. One of the things that it also gives you is the ability to do click and collect. So often those micro-fulfillment centres, they may be in an out-of-town out of type industrial park or, or retail park type location, plenty of parking, plenty of access to that. So it actually becomes an ideal location for click and collect. Because if you're thinking about click and collect in, in one of your stores, it may be in a shopping mall, it may be difficult for the customer to get there, they may have to pay for parking, it actually becomes a barrier of entry for the customer to do click and collect. Whereas if it's an out of town, they can do it on their way home, they're passing that location, it's easy to park right outside the store, then that's something where it becomes very attractive for the customer. And, and one of the contrasts that are really interesting is in food grocery, where in France, click and collect for food grocery is, is the primary channel for, for e-commerce as such, rather than home delivery. 
Whereas in the UK, it's probably the converse, whereas click and collect is, is often offered, it, it, it's a minor channel. Now, it'd be interesting to see how that changes, particularly as you begin to have micro-fulfillment centres in, in food grocery. Interesting. I mean, I know I've fallen prey to this as well, and it's that whole concept of what they refer to as the celebrity experience as a consumer that uh, I keep getting promised, you know, shorter and shorter time to delivery, better and better incentives to do that, uh, higher and higher discounts to buy it online and fulfill to a local centre somewhere. And, and even here in Australia, Australia Post has the capacity to effectively deliver it to uh, locker-styled storage units around the city. And I tried it recently, it was just mind-boggling. I ordered online, I was going to be in town for lunch, and then boom, I just went and found the nearest little red locker and punched in a four-digit pin and it popped up box one, two, three, and there was my stuff. And I was I was gobsmacked. And I, I just bought something for fun to see if it worked. It was there within hours. And so when you think about that whole sort of, you know, shift in consumer expectation to sort of get things in either same day or overnight, I imagine this has driven a substantial demand now for you, for organizations to come to you saying, we have no idea where to start with this. We don't even know how to approach this problem. Where do we go? And you've got this whole thing sort of, you know, up and running in the cloud that's in the box, if you like, that you can deliver quickly. Some, when you think about some of the, the, the underpinning key benefits of this whole micro-fulfillment approach, when you, when you get to the situation to either in a virtual or physical sense to sort of grab the old uh, whiteboard marker and perform Jedi mind tricks around <laughs> describing this, how do you approach the sort of the key business and technology benefits around this micro-fulfillment approach? Because, you know, you've covered a lot of the key benefits from the consumer space and certainly some of the overarching success stories around COVID-19 and, and the response to that. But in general, outside of a, of a global pandemic response, what are some of the really big ticket items as far as the benefits of micro-fulfillment versus, as you said, the traditional larger distribution center approach that we might have seen over the last couple of decades? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the, the, the first things has been in terms of the large distribution centers is the capital investment that it costs to, to, to set those up. They, they tend to be quite expensive to build in terms of rents and costs for where distribution centres, certainly in the UK and, and most other European countries, they, they've got they've skyrocketed. So it's actually a high cost of doing that. The other challenge is often accessibility to labour. So this was, this was a, a real challenge, certainly before the pandemic. I think the pandemic is maybe ease that a little bit, but I, I think it will be not long before we're, we're back into that challenge or retailers are having that challenge. We're actually to have labour resources all concentrated. So being able to access four or 500 employees in, in an area, often where there's lots of distribution centres, was a big challenge. So you have this cost and this labour resource challenge. Now, a lot of retailers managed to, to get around this or, or help mitigate this by automation. So we've seen many years, the large scale automation in DCs. However, in the last few years, we've now seen the, the, the movement of robotics in, into the DC. And that's, that's a trend that I think we're going to see more and more of over the, over the coming years. Sometimes people get a little bit sort of carried away and almost have this vision of, of robotic warehousing, almost like a car plant where you don't see people and robots are doing everything with their, their arms picking. That's not what we're going to see. What we're going to see is the ability where we have people and robots working together and being able to take away the movement, the travel time out of DCs and make employees more efficient. However, the challenges with that is cost again. So you, you're having to invest huge amounts in, into the DC, into the equipment, into the automation from that. So being able to distribute that, it, it takes away some of those challenges. Perhaps some micro-performance centers will be a bit more manual. Bit more flexible as well. 
But in terms of accessing labour and resource, that becomes a way because it's a lot more distributed. You're only looking maybe perhaps for, for 10 or 20 people rather than looking for sort of 500. So that, that, that helps in terms of the resource requirements. It also has other benefits in terms of, for example, carbon footprint. And this is where a lot of organisations are, are looking at that, and as well as the technology. But actually, if you are looking to fulfil same-day delivery, it's very expensive. It often involves people in vans running around large carbon footprints for that delivery. So if you can actually remove some of that by distributing it through micro-fulfillment centres, putting the goods closer to the customers, even the customers coming to collect those, then it takes away that. And that's, that's a real big concern for a lot of brands over the next coming year is their carbon footprint and, and how that's perceived by their customers as well. Yeah, oh, look, I'm, I'm well and truly amongst that uh, group of people who are always looking at not just what I'm buying, but who I'm buying it from and, and what's behind uh, door number yep. three. Something you said there really uh, struck me around the capability of, of standing up and scaling up on demand and then scaling down around what you offer in, in your cloud-based or software as a service-based supply chain capability, particularly in the space of micro-fulfillment. I'm imagining that seasonal demand is a real thing for you on a regular basis. I mean, I know here in Australia, we've got various seasons uh, where we've got like fruit picking seasons. We've got, you know, a whole range of different products and services that come and go on different times and dates. Is that a space that this is really a perfect fit for? It seems to me like it is. Yeah, no, it really fits well because often we've got the seasons, we've got the ones we know about, we've got the the, the Christmas, the Easter, the, the Mother's Day, whatever, all, all, all these events in your calendar that's often been augmented with brand events now so i'm going to create a, in perhaps early september to get my christmas season going i'm going to create a 20 percent off weekend it's going to drive that demand so often retailers have had to size their it for that biggest day you you, you have the, the stories about the, the black friday which i think is now a, almost a global event where retailers are having to size their it for that four hours on Black Friday afternoon or evening. And effectively, it's redundant for, for, for the rest of the year or, or, or certainly not utilised to, to the same extent. So to have that type of cloud environment where you can spin up, you don't have to, to make plans for months in advance and you know that you've got that, that environment there that will be elastic to your requirements is really powerful for retailers and, and, it, and it takes that away from them. And another benefit that we often find that they talk about is traditionally you've had, they've had large IT departments who've been feeding, watering the, the servers and maintaining the systems. If you can move to a cloud environment, you take that's taken away from you. That, that's all gone and you do no longer need to do that. And you can then use your IT department to bring innovation to, to the organisation. What can you be doing in the website? What can you be doing in analytics? How can you be using that IT department more than just that feed and water, which wasn't really providing the value that they needed to, to, to help support their growth? Yeah, it seems to me that, you know, again, something that just jumped out at me then when you were, you were sort of describing that was, you know, organizations seem to be able to go back to their core business instead of having to be a supply chain company that sells product. They're now you know, retailers that focus on their capability and not having to run the IT. They can they can trust you to run that uh, and scale it up and down and, and, you know, sort of in many ways, imagine it shifts it from a, a capital expenditure of CapEx thing to an operational expenditure of OPEX, which is a game changer for them. You've talked about a number of key 
reasons that micro-fulfillment has, has been a hot topic. I, I wonder if you can maybe talk briefly about some of the longer-term potentials it has with it, because, you know, there's been some obvious immediate demand around the, the global pandemic. I imagine there was a, a lot of interest and demand around various regional shifts, as you said, whether it's emergency response to a global pandemic or seasonal things, or as you said, uh, and I had a great conversation with both uh, Sebastian Lefebvre and uh, James Canamash on your on your your associates around the Black Friday thing and, and some of the research you did. And it was phenomenal to hear the, the micro changes in consumer behavior that you're not having to deal with for some of your customers. But when we think about some of the long-term potential, I wonder if you could maybe give us some insights into what you think the long-term potential now is for, for organizations that are going to leverage micro-fulfillment in, in various ways and, and change their approach to how they're going to distribute products instead of, as you said, these large giant distri- distribution centers, more meshed and, and micro-locations. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some really interesting points about, about how they develop in the future and, and how brands want to take them on. It's really looking almost to they become the fulfillment point rather than the store. So a lot of retailers are looking to fulfill from store, but it can become quite challenging in terms of it's becoming so successful that you're almost pushing customers or footfall into the stores and it becomes a parcel collection point. So do you do retailers want to push collection of parcels out towards those micro-fulfillment centres and actually use those to fulfil from as well? And linked to that is we still have that growth in click and collect. And often there's the requirement to fulfil that within store and that's great because we can do that quickly and easily. But actually, when you get to such a volume or or when you reach a peak volume, as we talked about flexing, could you use the local fulfillment centers to prepare those orders that are then shipped into the stores? So obviously, with the remote DCs, that's not available the same day. It's probably available the next day. But if if you're looking for that customer proposition of same-day delivery, you can prepare those orders outside the store and then ship them in for collection. We often see that in peak periods. I mean, particularly around the the Christmas period or brand promotions, actually you don't have the capacity inside your store to fulfill all those orders, both from an inventory perspective and from an order preparation. So being able to have that sort of flex outside that you can easily and quickly and cheaply bring those orders in it could be a big advantage for for retailers and we we could see that coming as well in in terms of acting as a collection point a lot of retailers particularly many who've got a large number of stores probably don't feel that they want to keep that high level of stores um, that they have so they may be looking at reduction one of the things that's always been around and we actually did a campaign about this five or six years ago was our stores going to become more showrooms and that showrooming concept so actually, in terms of holding lots of inventory in the store, is, has that gone now? And actually, the customer will still be able to look, feel, touch the product. But actually, in terms of fulfilling that, will that come from another point? And this is where micro-fulfillment centers really come into the fore in that the customer may say, yes, I, I like this product. This is exactly what I want. I, I'll be here shopping. Can you fill it within the next hour and a half? And I'll come back to the store. Now, you, there's no way you could do that from a, a remote DC, but perf- you can do it perfectly from that local fulfillment center that's on the edge of town where the customer may, may want to go there themselves. They may want to come back to the store in an hour's time to collect the product that's been prepared from there. So it really enhances that showrooming type concept that, that retailers may move to. We've spoken a lot about retail in the space, but I, I imagine there must be some other key industries like health and education where this is going to have a transformative effect as well. I mean, I think about 
the capability you've described broadly uh, and in detail around kind of how it's helped address things like COVID-19 as we needed and, and provided e-commerce, you know, curbside pickup. We talked about the, the transformation moving from large distri- distribution centers to these micro centers and even potentially using retail stores where the assets are landlocked, as it were. There must be other industries that are being very positively impacted with what you can do here now. And I'm imagining the likes of healthcare where they've got to move some very important stuff around. And we're talking, you know, in this case, we've got like vaccines moving around the world now. It seems to me that that's a natural fit for this kind of capability as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. So where you where you've got that speed requirement, which healthcare definitely comes into into that area where you you, you need to fulfil that. You've got a large customer base in terms of the locale around the the micro fulfilment centre. It's something that that can provide that. Also, you'll probably have requirements in terms of storage. So with healthcare, it, it involves perhaps chilled or even frozen um, or specific frozen, as we've seen with the vaccines, requirements. So it's, it's, it's an area where you need some specialist storage that you, you require and you need to have that speed to, to hospitals, consumers, pharmacies. And again, the local fulfillment centre can can provide that. Essentially, we're working with, with, with a, a healthcare provider in the UK and they have a large number of DCs because you again like food grocers you need to be as close to the customer as possible you you can't have the position where you just have two or three large remote DCs in a country they need to be a lot more pushed out and will we see this with with healthcare become even more local and micro fulfillment to to that as the consumer the consumer has much bigger expectations now nothing more than than in healthcare so so the ability to see I visit my doctor, he prescribes a medicine that I would want that within two or three hours to be available. Really, that's that's the type of, that's the, it's the, the same quandary as, as within the hour, fast fashion delivery. So some of the challenges that they have as well, you, you could mirror into healthcare. Other industries, I, I talked about DIY, it, it fits it quite well. You, you Again, you've got a range of consumers there. You've got more, you've got the home consumer who's, who's doing work, but you've got the tradespeople as well. So being able to do that in the same environment actually has a lot of cost savings for that. So to, to be able to have a location where both can come, both can be fulfilled, it, 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 is, a, is, a, is a great cost saving. And I've seen some examples of that in the UK, some brands that have done exactly that, that, that help support their supply chain in that way. I imagine that the perishable goods, you know, particularly food and, and, and in the agricultural space, where product is is, is picked and, and shipped on demand these days in many ways, and, and something may go wrong or order gets cancelled. It seems to me that you've also got an, an amazing story to tell around that space where for whatever reason, you know, orders may change, they may get cancelled, they may get scaled up and down, and, and product has to be held for some period of time. You know, I, I read the other day something like one-sixth of food that's produced is just thrown away because it can't get to the market or can't get to fulfillment centers or can't get to retailers in time, and it just rots on route. I imagine this is now going to be a transformative game changer in that we can now be smarter about how we're moving things at those localized distribution centers or even down to the retailers, as opposed to doing the traditional hub and spoke as well, and maybe long-term you know benefits on food scarcity. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And almost using the micro-fulfillment centres as a hub-and-spoke model. So we've seen, I mean, Argos in the UK have pioneered this model several years ago and and extended that recently. So we've been able to use the micro-fulfillment centres to to take perishable goods and then push those out to the locations where they're perhaps required, the store retail locations, or actually to fulfil orders within that. One of of the things that I 
reading some articles recently on food grocery fulfillment, particularly fulfillment. It, it looked at how this could be done profitably, but also meets the, the consumer's requirements. So one of the discussions was consumers often want to select, pick their own perishable goods, the fruit, the vegetables. They want to actually see uh, and look, touch, feel those. But actually your items like your washing powder, your tins of beans, they're not interested in that. They're, they're quite happy for that to be picked. So you, we could look at a blended model where part of your order is actually fulfilled in the micro-fulfillment centre. It might be sort of at the back of store almost as a, as a micro-fulfillment centre where your non-perishable goods are picked, your tins, your boxes, your cans, and actually you then bring that together with the order that you want to touch and feel and pick, that, that, that food, vegetables, maybe even meat products as well. So it could be an interesting way of blending those two together to, to match what the consumer wants through that micro-fulfillment model. No, I think and, it's and fantastic. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think any competitive edge organizations can get now and anything to do with fulfillment and retail is, is, is going to be a game changer because they're all facing very similar challenges around this, particularly now that supply is getting tighter and tighter. If you were to offer uh, key you know, key points that they should be considering, organizations should be considering, or even actionable key takeaways. I wonder, if, as a final question, if I could kind of maybe uh, get you to highlight three or four key things that you'd encourage brands to be considering quite seriously around micro-fulfillment and their approach to it, and, and things that they can concentrate on. I mean, you know, when we think about it from boardroom level downwards, what are some of the things they should have on their standing agendas at the board level? What should some of the business units be thinking about? What should they be thinking about within the the, the, the various lines of business teams as in, you know, uh, do we have a micro-fulfillment strategy? Do we have a partner of preference such as my Manhattan Associates that we're, we're talking to about this? Have we got a roadmap and a plan? What are some of the key things that you would advise organizations and, and the, the, the leaders in those organizations to be considering around the space of micro-fulfillment and potentially some actionable things they can they can immediately kick on with? Sure. So there's, there's three key considerations that I, I think I, I would advise um, people to do is the first is what is the purpose of the micro fulfillment center? So it, are you looking at it in terms of fulfilling direct consumer orders? Are you looking at it in terms of click and collect hub in terms of delivery hub out to stores? What is the actual purpose that, that, that you want to do that? And that will then often drive where you locate those, are they accessible? Is it is it a location where you want to do all your click and collect orders from that? So if you're a food grocer, you want to be doing two, 300 orders from there. So you need to think about parking, accessibility, where you're, where you're locating that. So I think that the purpose of your, of your fulfillment centre, micro-fulfillment centre, is key to that there. The second is, is you, and perhaps linked to the first, is, your, is what, what range of SKUs do you want? Are you going to hold... Only perhaps those top two, three hundred SKUs that you have. Are you looking to do perhaps more of your range? Have that that full range? Is it a, a certain aspect of the offering that you want to look at? And, and again, that really fits into to what the purpose is. But but often, particularly when we before the pandemic, fashion retailers were saying, "Well, I'll, I'll hold my top three, three hundred, two fifty lines there, and I'll look to fulfil those within the hour." To that, is is that the point, or is it actually you seeing? No, I want to hold a very shallow depth of infantry of of my much or much fuller infantry range and, and be able to fill that. So that that that's a consideration as as well within it. And then finally, I would say, how does the micro fulfillment 
center fit into your supply chain landscape? Is it something that you would look at cascading the, the infantry down from your warehouse, your, your large DC into the fulfillment centers? Is it is it something where you have direct deliveries from suppliers? Also, what systems are you looking for that? Is it, as we talked about, are you looking more for a sort of a, a lean warehouse management system that you can configure, um, you can spin up very quickly based on, on, on a cloud solution, but still have some, some quite complex requirements? Or is it more of a lighter touch solution, that type of store infantry fulfillment, where you're perhaps not, not doing so much complex warehouse processes, but you're picking various number of orders. And, and really a lot of this is driven by um, volume in terms of size, in terms of number of employees that you, you've got working there and, and orders that you're processing. And also, do you intend to bring automation in? And, and that's been one of the, the, the interesting things where micro-fulfillment centers are looking at aspects of automation. Robotics has, has, has brought that definitely forward where you can then bring automation and then that, that sort of begins to help frame the, the judgment about the solutions that you want to look at as well. So sort of summarizing, it's what is the purpose of, of that micro-fulfillment center? What are you looking to fulfill? What's the skew range? Is it the full range? And also, how does it fit into your, your, your wider landscape and the way you're fulfilling it? And, and those are the sort of three takeaways I, I, I give to brands when you think about micro-fulfillment. Fantastic. Well, Alex, it's been an amazing hour chatting with you and, and, and getting some insights into kind of where you're at currently in this whole space, where it's come from. Phenomenally exciting news to, to see it's been able to help the whole COVID-19 response from a global level by the sounds of things. And congratulations again on, on what you and your team and Manhattan Associates have been able to do in that space to scale up and down. If our audience are going to want to talk to you, I imagine that, you know, my advice to everyone listening is, is start a conversation now with Alex and the team at Manhattan Associates. Alex and his role as Director of Solution Consulting and Account Management is, is the perfect person to reach out to and have a conversation around where you're at with your supply chain strategy and where micro-fulfillment fits into that. And, and if you haven't got a strategy for micro-fulfillment, then certainly Alex and his team will be able to help you develop that. And also look at, you know, what kind of roadmap you have in place for the short to medium term and where you're going long-term with it. And, and uh, there's no better place to start that conversation and develop that and look at capabilities and trials and proof of concepts than Manhattan Associates. Alex, uh, final quick thing for folk who do want to reach out and start that conversation and get along that journey with you. How should they go about getting in touch and, and where can they get some more information? Um, well, there's happy people reach out to me in terms of LinkedIn. Again, we'll have some contact details on the show notes. Obviously, our website as well. People can, can contact us through there. We're very lucky in that we have a global footprint. So different markets, we can reach out, we can have a local resource and we can talk to you and, and look at some of the challenges you're facing, some of that roadmap that you want to and perhaps how we can help with, with our solution set. Fantastic. Alex, Alex McPherson, it's been amazing to uh, hear all of these insights from yourself, particularly around your role as Director of Solution Consulting and Account Management there at Manhattan Associates. And we'll look forward to having you back on the show real soon. But in the meantime, uh, stay safe and uh, really appreciate your time joining us today for a conversation. Many thanks, Des. It's been a great discussion.